0: You're listening to Drek FM.
1: There was a little bar
0: in Mill Valley where all the Starfleet trainees used to go. The 602 Club. You know it.
1: (laughs) I was there more times than I can remember.
2: everyone to trek fm's local watering hole where our hosts from the network and friends just drop by we talk all things geeky this week grab that uh, ale or that uh, pint of bitter because we're going to be talking about something a little bit special we're going to do a really fun thing we're going to have a retrospective here and then it's going to lead us into the brand new hobbit film uh, i'm your host and joining me on this adventure this brand new and, and not necessarily an unexpected adventure, but because we've been planning it for a while. <laughs> but Megan and Alice are here with me. How are you guys doing? Great. Great. How are you? I'm I'm doing really well. Uh, welcome to the 602 Club the first time. I hope you guys uh, ordered something from Ruby and are set to go. Um, yeah, I got me we'll... some mail. Excellent. We'll definitely try to keep it shorter than the actual movie. Uh, Okay, that's good. That sounds like a good idea. You know, Lord of the Rings movies and Hobbit movies. um, You know, I don't know if anybody wants to us talk for three hours. Even though, I mean, we could. Originally, this movie was intended to be uh, the first thing that Peter Jackson worked on. That that was their goal was to make the Hobbit, and because of a rights issue, it kept them from being able to do that. And in the meantime, he did Lord of the Rings. So finally, around two thousand and seven. They get the opportunity to kind of start working on everything. Uh, They announce that Guillermo del Toro is going to direct. Peter Jackson would just executive produce. And then del Toro steps away because of all the delays. And they start looking for another director. And finally Jackson just decides to fill the role again. And we end up with The Hobbit, which was supposed to be two movies. And then uh, about the time that they finished filming the second movie they decided well let's make it 3. So for you guys when you first heard that I mean th- I think this is first things first um this was going to be two movies and then they made it three movies you know and we've seen a lot of this happen in Hollywood obviously you know splitting the last Harry Potter movie we've split um obviously the the Hunger Games film we split the yeah. Twilight movie the last book you know it's a big deal to split things, and and sometimes it makes sense. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. What did you guys think when you first heard about it?
1: Well, ultimately, for me, like I I think I feel like it's just a dollar signs thing. I mean, you can only make more money by putting out another movie, so why not split your franchise into as many products as you possibly can? Um, I already thought it was kind of a strange choice because The Hobbit is such a short book, especially compared to the other Lord of the Rings books. Um, So to split it into two, I was like, all right, that kind of makes sense. Um, But splitting it into three, I was like, that's going to be kind of a stretch, guys. I'm going to be interested to see how you pull it off. Yeah, for me, first
0: things first would be Guillermo del Toro, because when I heard that he had been selected to direct, to tell you honestly, I was kind of afraid because... Although I love his films, and he's such an auteur, and he has such a distinctive style, and it's a style that, for the most part, I enjoy. I didn't want to see my beloved childhood book look like Hellboy. You know, like I didn't, you know, <laughs> like I... And
1: I, you're a Hellboy fan. And
0: I'm a Hellboy fan, I am, but... Yeah, I like the original. It
2: was a really good movie, vo- and it was actually a good movie.
0: Um, but you know the the hard thing for I think anyone who has a beloved book and when you're doing film adaptations you know as we sort of talked about a little bit already you kind of have to let things go but you have your vision of in your head of how you created those characters and what it should look like and if Guillermo del Toro did Guillermo del Toro it was just going to look so far afield from what I had in my head that I wasn't sure that I was going to be able to get over that.
2: Yeah, that's a that's a great point. I think Alice, because two, it's not as though we haven't at that point already had Lord of the Rings movies, so we already know what this world does look like. Now, you know, The Hobbit takes place sixty years beforehand, so there is a change. It the the world not being completely you know covered over by the darkness of Sauron changes that world and makes it darker and and as everybody likes to say, grittier. Um, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> reading just i was reading today about his ideas it, the idea that it was going to look much more like a he, he envisioned it really being fairy tale like and i don't know if if that so much works because it um even tolkien himself goes back and retcons the hobbit after he's done um the 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 whole ring exchange with with Bilbo and and Gollum is actually different in the versions we have now than when it was originally released. He went back and changed that and made it much more sinister and kind of created the way the ring became in the Lord of the Rings. So Tolkien and and is one of the first retconners of wor- his own work. Um, he he's like the original George Lucas. He actually <laughs> thought about going back and rewriting the entire Hobbit and just stopped because um, it changed, it was changing the tone too much uh, because he realized it doesn't necessarily completely fit with what he created then with Lord of the Rings. So I think we would have kind of ended up with something like that. It seems like if Del Toro had had his way, I feel like it might have been too much out of the framework of what Jackson had already completed. I don't know. It just seems like that might have been... Um. I not the best choice. I don't know. It, it would have been interesting at least to see. I, Philippa Boyan said, you know, she would have she's still kind of sad that that didn't happen. And, uh, you know, she worked on all three and has worked with Jackson for a long time. So who knows?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I kind of agree with you because I love Guillermo del Toro, but his stuff is is really greedy. I think greedy is a great word to describe his work. Um, although, you know, um, Pacific Rim isn't as gritty as some of his earlier stuff. Um, but I don't know. His style is very different than Peter Jackson's. And I just don't, I think you're right. It would have been a lot different than what we'd already seen in the Tolkien universe on screen.
0: Pacific Rim is, is mechanical, right? Right. So imagine the Goblin King from Pant Labyrinth. (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that, yeah. Yep. It, 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 well, it, now he might not have done that thinking. who know I mean we're we're conjecturing here but it, it would have been shocking for me if the Goblin King would have looked like Pan's Labyrinth you know I mean it.
2: <laughs> that's exactly what I think of though too because he, you know I know he wanted to do a lot of animatronics and he, he really liked that you know he wanted to take the the bigotures that they did with the Lord of the Rings and do even more of yeah. that and, um, which I fully so, support,
1: actually. I prefer that yeah, a lot of the time.
2: I, I think in some ways, those really, really work. Um, and I liked the work that they did with with the Lord of the Rings. I think it looks fantastic most of the time. There's, there's it almost always looks better. I mean, I think you can watch interstellar right now and see the work that a model does. Oh yeah, and it looks real, you know, And so not to say that you know at the same time i'll i'll say this the cgi say, in, in the new star trek movies is fantastic and it just is a proofs how far we've come with cgi the 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 place is where i'm i'm always wondering is that cgi or is that real i can't sometimes tell anymore what's real and what's not just because it's it's pretty good sometimes yeah. it's obvious and that's just the way it is i mean obviously the goblin king is CGI, but, you know, uh, making a, you know, what, probably 30-foot animatronic thing just isn't feasible. With eyes in its hand. (laughs) Yeah, it's just so expensive. So, um, well, okay, so now we've talked a little bit just about that, you know, this became three movies, and that meant that they were going to be adding things or moving things around, and tell me how you guys felt about that, especially since, you know, Tol- I said Tolkien kind of retcons himself. The scene that we have between Bilbo and Gollum is a is a key example, and, and that's really the only thing that really changed to kind of help sell that ring idea and change it so it felt more like the Lord of the Rings. But then he went and added different things in other places. You know, he has Unfinished Tales, uh, which has the whole Quest of Erebor scene in it where you have... Um, Thorin meeting Gandalf for the first time when we see them in Brie that we see in, in um, mm-hmm. the Desolation Center Smaug, and, and then you had in the Cimmerillion the whole White Council, the Lord of the Rings appendices deals with the White Council, as well as um, really bringing to life Thranduil in a way that he's not brought to life in, in The Hobbit. So there's a lot of places they pull from. What did you guys think about them kind of taking all this together and kind of making a little bit more cohesion between what we've seen before and what we'd get in the Hobbit.
1: Well, it's kind of hard not to right? because Tolkien has given us so much that we can pull from. And I think a lot of Tolkien fans maybe haven't read some of that extended universe. Um, so it's a great way to introduce fans to some of that stuff while also catering to like the Stephen Colbert's out there that yeah
2: (laughs) Stephen Colbert who could you know he can recite every name (laughs) yeah exactly oh yeah it's it's fantastic and who's in the desolation of Smaug as
0: well yes he is yeah I I I definitely have I have strong mixed feelings um (laughs) you know on the one hand I, I me for one didn't need there to be a greater connection between the hobbit and the Lord of the Rings, even the Lord of the Rings as they did it in the films, which of course is also different from the Lord of the Rings that's in the books. Um, I, I love The Hobbit as the story it is. And although I can appreciate wanting to... Um, for purposes of expanding my money-making possibilities into three films, pulling from these other places, I don't feel the quote-unquote need to um, bolster that story in any way. I think think it stands just fine as it is. So I have mixed feelings. But I enjoy, I mean, I can enjoy the film for what it is, you know.
2: Well, and I think that, I mean, I really appreciate that, Alice, too, because I think that's a great opinion to have you know you it might not be your favorite thing but there are some fans who might not even be able to appreciate the film at that point you know and I I like that you can divorce yourself enough to say it's a movie you know and it's not the book and I can always go back and read the book it's always there you know they don't ruin they can never ruin that for you um, because the, the book is always on the shelf and I can always pull it off and read it again
0: I fear, though, I have to say, I I fear for, God, I'm showing my age here. I fear for the younger generation, um, you know, that that may never get to the book. You know what I mean? Like.
1: uh, Oh, they'll get to the book. I, I you know, I I might,
2: yeah, I might feel that way, except for I think we're in an age where books drive movies as much as movies drive books. And so kids are growing up in an age where they're so used to reading the book and then going to see the movie. You know, they've they've had all of their childhood now on film. You know, they have um, Harry Potter and Ender's Game and, uh, you know, the Chronicles of Narnia. And, I mean, just the list goes on and on. And so they're kind of used to, um, at this point, being able to go back. So I hear what you're saying, though, because I, I would hate kids to just watch this and not actually go back and and get into tolkien and and because he's a he's a monumental writer right you know, um
0: so i have a kid and my my experience of my kid and other kids his age is actually the reverse is what happens he's never read any of the harry potter books but he's seen almost all of the films now, he's my son, so the likelihood of him actually reading the Harry Potter books is quite high, but that's because he's my son. Um, I think many kids today see a lot of films that they may not even realize that there are books that go along with those films. Um, but I, you know, that's not going to happen to my kid.
1: I do think also that it has to do with the age of, of your son in particular, because I know when the Harry Potter movies were coming out like I was in the age group that was reading the books when they came out and so those movies were targeted to me at a very specific age. So I think it's just a matter of this n- weird new production cycle that we seem to have found ourselves in where authors are coming up with these books that become blockbuster hits on the on the um, book charts and then Studios are like, okay, that's the one that we've got to make into a movie. So I think as that book cycle continues, the movie cycle is going to continue. And there's going to be, there are going to be new series of books where kids are reading the books as they're coming out and then seeing the movies later.
0: Yeah, but what I'm talking about is a a book like The Chronicles of Narnia or Gerald Tolkien's works, which have been around since what, the 20s? Yeah. 30s when did those those books come out right so those are very old so I totally get what you're saying yeah. that if the if the movie is coming out like Mockingjay and, and those books because those books are popular right now and that's why the 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 studios are making those films there's still going to be that generation that comes up behind if those books become the classics that J.R.R. Tolkien come there are kids who may still come up in the world who know the movies but never get to know the books
1: and that's definitely true I'm sure that will happen
2: I think it's a little bit akin to um, the way that J.J. Abrams Star Trek movies work, in that they bring a whole new generation in, and they're like, "Well, I want is there more. more of this." Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so they they go and find you know all of the other series that we've had, all the other movies, and I've heard so many people you know get into Star Trek that way in the past few years. I think that's great, and I I hope you know and I'm, I'm with you, Alice. I, I hope and I pray that these kind of movies lead people to read the actual books. And the best part about something like The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings or even, say, The Chronicles of Narnia is that they are classic books that have been around for over 50 years, and they don't seem to be going away. And that's great because, um, you know, they'll still stay on the shelf. And and that's where, you know, hopefully when, when I have kids, I'll, you know, my goal is to read them, you know, I'll indoctrinate them you know it's my yeah. job to indoctrinate them you know as a good uh, and nerd. read those books to them yeah um when they're going to sleep and and those kind of things and help them discover those things as well and then you know if they don't like it that's fine but at least they'll know about it um for me i w- i guess i didn't worry so much because i really l- i trusted jackson enough to 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 service the material you know um having watched you know at least a day's worth of extras you know if i were to sit down and watch all of the extras on those on all the movies so far it it it's probably almost 24 hours or something like that so i i felt like i understood that they really cared about the material and it wasn't as much as I, i'm sure that it is driven somewhat by money it wasn't just money they they thought they could make great movies um that lived up or or were you know, uh, something that you'd want to watch alongside The Lord of the Rings. And, you know, being enough of a Tolkien fan and having read, like you were saying, Megan, enough of that other material that he wrote, you know, whether it's the Cimmerillion or the Appendices or, you know, uh, slogging through the Unfinished Tales and that kind of stuff, um, and getting those tidbits about those stories that Tolkien would would give you little clues to other things that had happened. I was kind of excited just to see that because... You know, The Hobbit is one of those books. It's very short and very concise and, like, things happen and then they move to the next thing. And it's a little bit episodic in that nature. But there's other things that are going on and you can tell, like, you know, why does Gandalf just disappear? And then he doesn't tell you why he was gone and and all these kind of things. And so um, those were just natural additions to the story that I'm glad that they added uh, because that White Council stuff – it I think is gonna be really fantastic, especially once we get to the Battle of the Five Armies. So that's where I'm kind of excited to see that fully play out. And two, those are the kind of things that might drive people back to the Cimmerillion because they want to know more about, you know, uh Galadriel and um Saruman and uh all of those characters that are on that White Council that are super powerful and figure out where they come from. So that that was exciting to me. You know the things that I are like, eh, whatever. Um, I, I don't care uh, about them adding Tario. You know the the elven warrior. That that's fine. You know that that's movie stuff, and and that's where I just was like, whatever. Um, you know, blinging bringing back Orlando Bloom as, as Legolas. It makes sense. You know, from the book standpoint, he's Um Thranduil's son, so. Most likely he was there. He's just not mentioned, you know. So, um, all that kind of stuff is fine. Uh and you you talked about before we started out the idea of agency and kind of moving uh-huh. people around. Um, you know, kind of beefing up some of the characters that are small but then are strangely important, like the bard, who's like really important really quickly in the book. I, I don't know, it was okay to me the to, to give him a little bit more to do so that once we get to that point later on in the story, it'll make sense. So I don't know. What do you guys think?
1: I think Alice and I have similar mixed feelings about the Tariel character in particular. Um, <laughs> I mean, I, I love to see Evangeline Lily get uh, a gig like this cause I thought she was fantastic when I first saw her on lost. Um, and I think she's an interesting character. I think they might've missed the mark a little bit with her. Um, but I'm interested to see where they're going to take it. Um Alice has I know Alice feels very strongly about adding romance to stuff that didn't necessarily have romance to begin with and doesn't necessarily need it. Um and they're very kind strong of, feelings. I might need a whiskey. They're kind Bring of hinting whiskey. at a potential love story here. Um, which I don't know. I, I'm I'm right now I'm take it or leave it. I'm interested to see what they what they're gonna do with it. But um it's fun to see a, a, a female elven warrior uh, jumping around and fighting orcs and bad guys and stuff like that. Um, I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm anxiously, w- I'm not anxiously, I'm, I'm patiently waiting to see what happens before I make any final judgments on, on the addition of her character.
2: I think one of the things too is that, I mean, we do live in a day and age where geek girls' do tend to get upset when there aren't any female characters whatsoever and and tolkien's writing just it's not a female it's a different time space. period yeah and it, yeah it doesn't have a lot of female characters so i can understand the filmmaker's point of view of like if we put this out there and there's no female characters how's this going to be received and, yeah. and they had the same issue with uh lord of the rings too and i, I felt like on a whole they they dealt with that decently um, I won't say it's perfect cause it's not, yeah. but, um, so they, they definitely have that problem you now here cause there are no female characters in the Hobbit. yeah. So that's a really tough thing to sell, you know, all sorts of people when there's absolutely nobody for them to maybe see and, and on a poster or whatever, and be somewhat excited about, even if, um, I think the problem is is if it's just because she's gonna be romancing a character and, yeah. and then you can have a problem.
1: Well, and that's the missed mark, right? I mean, I you know, geek girls, we we want to see more representation of people like us in these things that we love. And I appreciate that the studios are clearly making an effort to reach out to us as a as a an audience, a group of audience members, <laughs> but they seem to not fully understand what it is that we're looking for, because romance is not, like, the number one thing that we're looking for. Um, but, again, like, she spends a lot more time jumping around and being action-y, um, although yeah, she... Kicking I, some serious ass. Yeah, mm-hmm. she does kick some butt, although she, I think her poster pose was a, a butt pose, which... <laughs>
0: Well, no, they super switched great.
1: it. They switched it. Oh, that's right. It was Legolas. They Lego switched laugh, it. It's it? Legolas
0: who's doing the chest He's butt got thing. the butt yeah. pose. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, that's fine. <laughs> you know, it's, it's sort hey, of didn't it bother cool. me. I'm not complaining. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Some guy yeah I just,
0: um, I find it an interesting, you know, when you're not in the position of, of privilege, it's always a challenge. You know, I I appreciate that there are more, you, you know, the princess, and I'm air quoting, the princess problem um. Is, has sort of been nipped in the bud considering every Disney princess now somehow knows karate. (laughs) Um, But, you know, I'm... That's like a very one-dimensional fix for me. You know, don't just take a throwaway character and make her kick ass. Give me a character that actually... It has some meat and is the you know give give me more of a a mockingjay story where at least the female character has some real importance in the storyline if there weren't women in there don't just give me a token woman because you don't know what else to do Um, it's that that kind of it I, I just was like what this is just so ridiculous I don't even know and I don't particularly like that the elves save them when in the book they, you know they 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 don't need to have elves chasing them down in the barrel run you know shooting the orcs off of them you know they you know bilbo fixes that problem for them and they go on their merry way and it's a done deal all of that additional elves because elves are cool and people like elves i didn't really
2: i think um i, I completely get that you know for me uh all of those scenes that they add things like that to, where they give it some more action is just the movie maker. Whereas, you know, in a book you can go and you can have them escape in barrels and, and that's fine. Whereas in a movie, it's like, it has to be a visual feast. You know, it, it it can't just be, well, we plopped out in some barrels and we rolled down the, you know, that, that's, that's not, you, you can't tell a movie like that. And you, you kind of run into that problem and plus, Legolas got to do some really cool <laughs> stunts. Like, I was really excited about that.
1: I think that uh, was one of the scenes that when uh, my husband and I saw it in the theater, I think we were laughing the hardest. <laughs> it was that yeah, I mean, escape. I mean, that, the concept yeah, it was that so that's, silly.
0: The concept that that's—I mean—you don't necessarily need Legolas flipping around and doing ridiculous things for it to be a visual feast. I mean, I think that's—I think that's lazy from a filmmaker standpoint. You're Peter freaking Jackson. You have a bajillion things in your pocket. Don't make something that's going to become a universal ride. You know, give <laughs> give me something a little bit. Give me something a little bit better, please.
1: I'm looking forward to going on that ride next time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I visit that universal seems Studios. like the best
0: log ride ever.
1: <laughs> They're totally doing that. That's exactly what's yeah. happening. <laughs>
2: um, that does that is not surprising. You know, I I don't. Goodness, after watching the extras and knowing how hard that was, oh gosh. Oh, I'm I sure can't, it was can't super say difficult to film. Yeah, I can't say that was easy. Um, it took them a really long time to figure that out. Um, but I, I get what you're saying. It makes sense. Um, okay, well, jumping to our time machine, and we hop in our TARDIS because this is the 602 Club and we can jump series like that. And we go back in time and first impressions of the movie i mean we're back in middle earth uh, we've got 48 frames per second if you saw it like that uh and all of this stuff thrown at you and in the end the world does look a little different it's a little bit lighter and it's a little bit happier it's a little bit sunnier what did you think i mean when you walked out of the movie theater you know the first time after seeing an unexpected journey
1: I definitely enjoyed it, and we watched it in the 48 frames a second the first time we saw it. Uh, Since this came out around the holidays, we were visiting family, and I think we ended up seeing it three times in the movie theater. Wow. (laughs) Because, you know, like one friend hadn't seen it, and then our in-laws hadn't seen it, and they wanted to go, so we we said I think we saw it more times than we were uh, intending to, Um, but we still enjoyed it every time we saw it. Um, Yeah, like I said, the the barrel escape was... uh, pretty silly and we laughed a lot in the movie theater um the 48 frames a second jumped out at me at first and then you know once I get got into it I just like whatever I I lost it because I was into the story and everything and um does anybody know was this also filmed with the what is that new surround sound called again the Atmos? Yes, in Atmos. Was this in Atmos as well? It is. Yeah. I, I, at least I
2: know that the last one is because uh, a theater up here in Washington is has Atmos set up and they're showing it with Atmos. So Yeah, we have a couple of, of them here were. in
1: Phoenix and I'm pretty sure it was in Atmos and I remember seeing it uh, cuz I'm sh- I'm pretty sure one of the times we saw it was in Atmos and uh Again, at the beginning, it really stood out to me. And then I got too into the story and stopped noticing. Uh, the one thing we did notice was when we were in a, a rundown movie theater and the surround sound didn't work properly. Um, but because that really. That sucks. definitely the experience <laughs> for sure. Um, on the little Dolby thing, she just said, oh, oh. so she wasn't around us. Oh, dear. Um, that was pretty funny. But yeah, we still enjoyed it. Um, I did like that it was brighter and happier and more cheerful because to me, that's the Hobbit. The Hobbit is a little bit more more bright and it's more cheerful than the Lord of the Rings was. But then they started drawing in some of that darkness and that grittiness from the Lord of the Rings, which I get why they were doing it. I kind of wish it had been left out. Um, I was glad to see Galadriel come back. I know she's not in the story um, but she's one of my favorite characters, and I love any excuse to see <laughs> Kate Blanchett on screen because she's just she's luminescent, um, literally as Galadriel. So
2: I'm I'm gonna agree with you there. She's fantastic. You can, yeah, you can have her on screen as much as you want, especially in elf ears they, because <laughs> it just yeah.
1: She's amazing. She didn't get enough screen time in my opinion. Like we could have well, just I'm more. I'm hoping. Of her- yeah.
2: Let's cross our fingers, because I think of Battle of the Five Armies, we're actually going to see her let loose. Awesome. And so, I'm excited. What about you, Alice? What did you think?
0: I have an expectation problem. <laughs> <laughs> hey, so welcome to fandom. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, to, to put it in perspective for you, The Hobbit was the first book that my father read out loud to me, and it is one of the handful of books, I would say less than ten, that I have read more than once. So, that story is very well drawn in my head and my expectations for wanting to love this film were high and that's always you know if your expectations are high they're very hard to meet whereas if you go into a film thinking that it's gonna suck it's probably gonna turn out to be better than you thought it was
1: yeah I think I had like medium expectations when I went into this I was like well it'll be a movie but yeah yeah, I see
0: where you're coming from my expectations were high so I I like it more now the more times that I have seen it, because my expectations have had an opportunity to, to level out. <laughs> um, but the whole opening sequence where they, they, it feels like they're almost pulling scenes directly from The Lord of the Rings. Um, there are several shots that for me were a revelation for The Lord of the Rings. I mean, that was the other thing for, for those films, Peter Jackson and... Wingnut, no. What's the um, production company, the one that did all the weapons and the what's their name? Help me out here. Oh, uh, Weta. Weta. You know, so much of the work that they did was perhaps not as groundbreaking as The Matrix, but groundbreaking anyway in terms of what he was presenting. And to see it repeated almost exactly in some instances, I was a little bit like, come on. Come on, guys. I know you're better than this. But again, my expectations were high. So I've definitely leveled out in terms of I can enjoy the film for what it is now.
2: Yeah, definitely one of the things that stood out was the 48 frames per second. And what I thought was cool about it is that it worked with all the visual effects. The 48 frames per, per second actually makes that feel like it fits better yeah. because it's it's going, the, the frames are hitting you so fast and it does take a little bit to get used to. But once I did, and of course being in 3D as well, I thought it, it all lo- looked really good. And, you know... I, in some ways, Peter Jackson is a lot like a, a filmmaker like George Lucas where he really likes the the process of filmmaking I mean he he he's using all the tools and I think it was interesting to see him try something and, and history will show whether it actually works or not and so that's that'll be interesting um but it doesn't hurt the movie because of course you know when we see it at home it it just looks like it does like in a normal movie screen and that's where a lot of people will end up seeing it you know, for the rest of our lives. So, um, but I I agree with you too, Megan. I I liked it being back in Middle Earth and then it was brighter and it's sillier and it's funnier and like it's goofier because that's The Hobbit. And I think that was one of the things that I had to get used to because I was, I've read Lord of the Rings more than I have The Hobbit. I've read The Hobbit a few times in my life. Um, But I've also read Lord of the Rings a lot more. And so I'm more used to that darker world and i had to remind myself that the hobbit's just kind of a sillier lighter book in a lot of it and so until you get to the very very end with that big battle and so you know having the dwarves come in and they're singing and they're being goofy and and all that stuff i just had to get used to and once i did i was like this is I really like getting to see this world again. I just like being back here in Middle Earth. Can I live here? I want to go to there. Um, <laughs> and now I can if I only had enough money to go to New Zealand. I yep. know, right?
1: Like we're all saving our money to go visit the Shire. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. My dream um, home is a hobbit hole.
2: hmm <laughs> And I thought it was great too because they were still putting the same amount of care and attention into all that they were doing, you know, with the costumes and with the weapons and all of that kind of stuff that Weta is so famous for now, and their digital work too. Uh, obviously, with Gollum, they've just taken and, and used that on a lot more characters now because they didn't use quite as many um, stunt doubles anymore for orcs as they as they did here. Because I'm, I think for them it might have just been easier than having to create so many latex suits over and over and over again that they did on the on the Lord of the Rings where you know they would have hundreds of extras and latex suits and it was just yeah. So Well
1: and those are I they're thought- so expensive and they smell and they're hard to store yeah. and I mean there's just so much that people that you have to consider when you have that many extras in full costume like they did at Lord of the Rings. I mean, nobody mm-hmm. does that. Nobody had done that before and nobody's really done it since because it was such an undertaking.
2: Right. And luckily, I mean, for them, it ended up paying off. Oh, yeah, but, it absolutely You know, did. If, if it hadn't, we let's just say if it hadn't, we wouldn't be having the Hobbit discussion at all, probably. So, um, well, just kind of thinking in the movie and we've all seen the extended edition too now. So it's a little bit longer and they've added some things. What are some of your favorite things about the movie? What are some of the things you like? And then we'll move into kind of some of maybe the things we didn't think work as well with an unexpected journey.
1: What did I like? Well, I like Bilbo. Um, I hadn't read the book before I went in and saw this movie, so I went into The Hobbit totally blind. Um, aside from my Lord of the Rings background knowledge, and at first I wasn't so sure about them casting uh, Morgan Freeman as um, Martin. Martin Freeman. Oh my God! <laughs> at first, boy, <I, laughs> well, that would have been a that different movie. Been a way different movie. Um, At first, I wasn't so sure about them casting Martin Freeman as as Bilbo, but um, I think he really was kind of a fantastic casting job for that character. Um, You know, he's he's witty enough, he's kind of sarcastic enough, and he likes to not, he wants to not be in trouble, and he wants to just go back to the Shire, and I really loved him as Bilbo. Um, So I think that was probably my favorite thing about seeing The Hobbit for the first time.
0: Um gosh, that's gonna be so hard for me.
1: <laughs> you liked something, Alice. I know. I, know. I mean again,
0: I, I mean I did I can I can watch the films and, and I can enjoy them. Um I, I do like the dwarves. Uh the the books for me again in the books they read a little bit more hot and cold um then they do just like Thorin reads a little bit more he, he he reads less noble than he comes off in the films but I do like Richard Armitage as um Thorin I, I like Martin Freeman as as Bilbo okay uh I like that you know they get in the important pieces for the most part and in, in without being too much of a negative Nancy I like how they've expanded some of the things I particularly like the trolls for example the rock the rock fighting you know which I think is like two paragraphs in the book didn't need to be quite so (laughs) drawn out for me but again all I could think of was like oh well, this is you know prep for some ride somewhere
1: oh no I thought that was so awesome when I was in the movie theater I was like I want a whole movie of these rock guys this is (laughs) awesome stuff right here
2: yeah I'm just a dick. That was one of those things. Look, I remember first seeing the movie in the in the theater and I thought Peter Jackson just made that crap
1: up. I know that that's what the my book. husband said. Yeah. it is. And the then book. it was
2: so funny because <laughs> I went I went home and I looked in the book and it's like two lines. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's really literally short. Like
1: one sentence like yeah. they were back there throwing rocks.
2: Yeah, exactly. But the coolest part about it was is that the 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 visual that Tolkien gives you is just enough to kind of create what I think Jackson did with that so he just he took those little cues and that's kind of what you have to do as a filmmaker when you're adapting a book especially like The Hobbit where we've talked about it It has a lot of brevity to it mm-hmm. and and so when you're doing a movie you are going to take those cues like that and make something really cool because what a great visual of like these mountain people that just pull out of the mountain and start bashing each other's heads in with huge rocks and you know in the book they're they're like throwing rocks down and hitting trees and watching them smash and everything you know so it's like they just like wanton destruction and they're not really there for any other reason than Tolkien had it in his imagination put it on the page because he thought it was cool and then Peter Jackson thought it was cool too and so he just made it a bigger action piece and it, it was kind of fun and it did a good job I thought of kind of leading them into you know, the fact that they go into that that cave, which will leave them to Goblin Town, which was great. So,
1: well, and that's one of those things, too, that I think in the hands of another filmmaker, maybe not necessarily Guillermo del Toro, but in, but that's like it's such a, a short part of that section of the book that someone could have just easily glossed over that and not included it in the film. And and it was there and it was so big and I thought it was so well done. I thought it was one of the most unique things in The Hobbit. I'm so glad that that jumped out at at Peter Jackson and captured his imagination and he put it on film for us to see in the way that he did. Gee, I wonder
0: if it would have been in there if it had only been one movie or (laughs) even just two movies.
1: I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. (laughs)
0: And that's really interesting, too, because
2: I, I was reading just online today about, you know, the, the idea of the split and all those kind of things. And they had actually filmed most of the stuff for one and two. And then they had to go back and film things so that it could be for, for three and then rework everything with the footage. So um, they, they did a lot of that work and then they had to go back and just add things in that would make sense with the story. And especially when they decided that the movie, there wasn't going to be... A joint film, like a, a joining film between Lord of the Rings and and The Hobbit, that kind of told that story. That they were just going to take The Hobbit and make it into three. They had to figure out how to to parse all that out. So, yeah, that's that's one of those scenes I thought they they may have made this a little bit longer, but it was so cool watching on screen, especially in three D and everything. It just looked great. Um, and Megan, I'm with you. I think Martin Freeman. If he hadn't been the Hobbit, I don't know if this movie would work half as well as it does. Just because he really does carry, he has this presence about him. Mm -hmm. You know, he's kind of snarky and and, uh, all of those things that Martin Freeman actually is in real life, he just brings to. I mean, he literally, in the the extras. Yeah, he 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 does kind of fly the the same character over and over again. Yes, yes. Yeah, he does. Well, and he likes to fly the bird. A lot, um, at, <laughs> in the extras, yeah. so yes, and uh, actually, you will see him when he puts on the ring, and I think it is the uh, Desolation of Smaug, he's actually putting it on his middle finger, yeah, which is pretty funny, yeah. Um, so I really like his performance, I, I think that he just really sells that, and I, on the same token with you as well, I think Richard Armitage does a great job with Thorin because. They do change that role a little bit. He's younger. Um you know he he, he looks a little more like a virile man. Obviously they they're going for a little more sex appeal with him than you know he probably had in the the book you know Which like what is a strange
1: we were... choice considering he's a dwarf <laughs> exactly richard armitage exactly. would
0: be sexy regardless i guess that's true well, that's true, that's that true. Man is I,
1: hot.
2: Agree. I mean the guy's a good looking guy he's I'm not good-looking. gonna lie so um i really liked i really liked that and then the, the thing that i really enjoyed and i really responded to the first time i saw it was when they do that white council and i really appreciated How they were weaving that story so that it made sense for, you know, Gandalf to leave and you knew why he was leaving and it was very important and that's why he wasn't going to be there. And then, of course, it makes a little bit more sense in the end with the five armies battle and why all these armies just all of a sudden show up. You know, this gives a much better, you know, visual representation for the audience who maybe hasn't read The Hobbit like you said, Alice, of kind of what's going on in the background which Tolkien didn't even realize himself until he retconned himself. So you know, it's like I don't feel quite as bad of of Peter Jackson doing this because Tolkien did it first. So um, <laughs> I don't feel quite as bad as is uh, for him going back and adding things in. And um, I, so I really like that scene, and I'm with you, Cate Blanchett. We just need more of her um, and elf ears. Um, so. <laughs> And then for you guys, you've both seen the extended edition. There's some extended scenes in there uh, with them at Rivendell with the dwarves there and um, things like that. Was there anything that, that they added at all that you liked or you're just like, oh, we don't really need this. We could just watch the original version. It'd be fine.
0: Well, for me, being being the one here who probably it wasn't so on board with all of the additions it didn't watching the extended version it it, it wasn't like um oh god there's more I mean it, it was fine um you know the Rivendell piece for me again that's that's written very differently from or it's shown in the film very differently than it is in the books there isn't so much the obvious hatred uh in the book um until you get to Th- Thendril. um but you, you know I, the interesting thing about Jackson is he is very good at his job and so um the, the additions in the extended didn't really bother me and in some cases I enjoyed them so it didn't it was you know neither here nor there for me
2: like the Dwarves taking a bath in the big fountain there, you know was just fantastic.
1: I didn't do my geek work. I actually haven't seen the extended version yet, so
2: that's okay. You guys are giving me something
1: to look forward to. <laughs>
2: I, You know, to me, just as a Lord of the Rings person and then with The Hobbit, um the extended versions just became what I think of as the films. Like, I don't even think about the theatrical release anymore oh, just either. because I never watch them anymore. So, I just always enjoy watching the extended version because in a lot of ways, what... Jackson will do with the extended version is add those things in there that a fan appreciates. And and so I really like that, especially like with, say, Return of the King, where he adds, you know, um, what happened with Saruman. Um, it's not quite the same in the book. Obviously, it's very different. But it... it it mirrors a little bit what happens in the book. The fact the way he dies is is similar and, and the fact that he does die and those kind of things, which wasn't even in the original theatrical cut. You just left and Saruman was just there and you're like, what? We've just spent all this time talking about how bad this guy is and we just leave him on top of a tower? So, um, yeah, that kind of stuff I just always appreciated about him one of the things I just wanted to mention and, and talk to you guys about, because this whole movie has a lot of dwarves in it. <laughs> and, you know, so Jackson has a harder time in this movie than I think he does in the in the original Lord of the Rings films, is that all of these characters are the same race, and we're with them pretty much the whole time through all three movies. That's, you know, those are the main cast of characters, and, and how do you make that interesting and not boring what did you think about how he pulls that off or does he pull that off
1: well i think because i'm i'm actually finishing the hobbit now because educating geeks is actually going to be covering the book um one of the things that jumped out at me reading it after seeing the movie is how um a lot of the time the dwarves are kind of like this big amalgus group um you know every once in a while one or two of them will come out and have their own scene together but a lot of the time they're referenced just all in a row like oin and gloin and feely and keely and like six or seven of them are just listed um and then you know like we get to know like Balin and feely and keely a little bit more than some of the others bomber and bomber yeah um so i think peter jackson did a pretty good job of there are the dwarves that we get to know a little bit more and then there's the others that are just kind of like the background dwarves that are along for the ride kind of like bilbo's supposed to be um so it didn't really it didn't really bother me too much cuz there are the ones that stand out a little bit and the ones that i'm like you know whatever they're they're just there
0: yeah i actually think given the expanded nature of what he's done he actually has the opportunity to have those moments like when they're in the house and I can't remember the character's name who has the really loud burp for example or (laughs) the one you know like he has those moments cinematically to be able to give each one a little bit of character through the time that we spend with them that the book just doesn't have the time to do so I think in that sense and giving them a little bit more character even if it is character that you didn't know they had um I think he does a nice job of that
2: yeah I agree with you guys um I think that's probably the hardest part of the movie is like you said Megan in the book they're just this collective basically that you know a few of them will speak up every once in a while but on a whole it's Thorin that you're dealing with and it's 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 Bilbo that you're dealing with and you don't really get to know these these dwarves and one of the things that Jackson the crew I thought did a great job was is just giving them a visual look yeah. so you could tell the difference you know and, and it might be a little bit outlandish at times but again with a visual medium it's so important to be able to distinguish your characters um, and, and who they are and the other thing was is just uh, the actors that they got to play these guys I thought was great as well because um, you know Dwalin um, Graham McTavish you know he's this big hulking dude and and the way that he plays him it comes off you immediately know who he is you know um you know bomber with steven hunter he's just oh my gosh steven hunter as bomber is just hilarious and he's half the time he's really not even doing anything it's just kind of the way he walks and and the way he barely talks and always has food in his mouth i mean that kind of stuff is great and um the the way that they they give you immediately who ballin is you know um and with he's the older one he's the one who's been with Thorin the longest um he's the one that trusts Thorin more than anything all of those kind of things that just they do a great job visually and and then when they give these characters lines really setting them apart and I think that really works especially with a movie where there are going to be some of these dwarves that we even by the end of three movies we still don't really know that well but we, we can still appreciate when they're on screen, and, uh, that's just, um, that's a hard thing to do, I think, when, you know, when I think of the Lord of the Rings, even if it was a side character or whatever, they, they're at least distinguishable, okay, this one's an elf, this one's, you know, a dwarf, this one's a human, and these humans are these humans, and, these humans live over here and there's a little bit different and all that kind of stuff, it, it it's a little easier to distinguish than when you have, well, 13 of the same exact race and they're all relatively the same size and <laughs> all that kind of stuff. So I really appreciate that. Um, well, for you guys, just f- some final thoughts on the unexpected journey. And, you know, I think it was kind of an unexpected journey for a lot of us in the sense that when I knew all the legal troubles that they were having with The Hobbit in the first place and why they didn't get to do it first. I didn't know if they'd ever get to do The Hobbit. And so I was just glad when they finally were able to work those out. And I thought it was fortuitous that Jackson ended up being back in the director's seat because I thought he's the really the best person for the job. Um, so I was I was glad to be back here. And final thoughts for you guys on, on the movie and... Um, just uh, where we go from from here.
0: So, you might have to do some some kind. I have a question, which is at the very beginning of the film, you see when um, Smaug first attacks Dale and and mm-hmm. and, yeah. and goes off. Right, you see Thorin and you see Dwalin. Dwalin's a young man. When you look at them together, they look like they're the same age. So then, years later, Thorin looks. Pretty much the same age as he does in those opening shots, and Dwallin's an old man. That confused the crap out of me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, is Thorin under some sort of magical spell that he ages differently than the other dwarves? Like, I was really confused.
1: It's main character magic. <sighs> it drove me batty. Yeah, that's
2: a good question. Maybe they're, yeah, maybe they just didn't do a good enough job of showing you quite how old Balin actually was.
0: I mean he does not have white hair. Yeah, it's he... a bad visual cue probably. <laughs> okay, sorry. So anyway, go ahead, Megan. Okay. Your so, final thoughts. Uh,
1: for my final thoughts, I, I agree with you. Um I'm glad that they were able to um I'm glad that they were able to finally do the Hobbit films. Um I had been wanting to read the book and having the movies come out kind of gave me the the push to finally do it, but I'm I'm glad that it was Peter Jackson ultimately because his vision of the Lord of the Rings is one of the things that I fell in love with when I saw the Lord of the Rings movies was his vision and his ability to bring to life um, a lot of what was in my head from reading the Lord of the Rings books. So I was glad that we were able to return to his vision of Middle Earth because it was one that I identified with and I really loved and I really appreciated um I'm looking forward to the last one I can't wait to see what happens there I think the battle is going to be pretty epic
0: because <laughs> you know it's only like a chapter in the book yeah
1: um <laughs> 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 yeah for
0: for me I, I definitely will will mirror uh Megan's and your uh thoughts that Peter Jackson really was the right man for the job I think I think any other especially if they were a very strong auteur handling that material it it might have been a uh, A truly unexpected journey. Uh, I will say that I enjoyed Peter Jackson and his writing team's work when they had the creative handcuffs of having to take all of The Lord of the Rings and jamming it down into three books, and what happened to that creative process with those restrictions versus what happened. To his creative process when the world was opened up to him and he he had to take this very small story and make it big. Just for me personally, I liked what happened previously better than what happened now. That said, I have enjoyed both films and I imagine I'll enjoy Battle of Five Five Armies as well. So if
2: you guys uh, we don't always do this but I was I was thinking about this since we're going to talk about all three movies yeah. it, it might be worth doing. So if you were going to give, you know, say um an actual rating, not not a Trek FM crazy rating, but like an actual <laughs> rating out of like we'll say 10 because that gives you a good range. Uh, what would you say for you is um, an unexpected journey. And you can you, you can take that as you know, we can just do it genre-wise or all movies, you know, I I would say I kind of judge movies based on their genre, not necessarily always the entire scope of movies. How does this compare to Casablanca and Citizen Kane? Well, it it doesn't, but <laughs> um, you know. So what what would you what would you rate it? How about you, Megan?
1: Well, I always rate. I'm I'm like a Netflix rater. Um, so you know, Netflix has I liked it, I loved it, and so I just kind of I go with the the words that pop out of my mouth, and I really enjoyed it. I wouldn't say I loved it, but I really enjoyed it. So I'd give it like a solid six out of ten. I think six out of ten.
0: God, I'm hurt. rating rating skills just drive me crazy because of course they're very <laughs> they're
1: so subjective. <laughs> they're right? so
0: subjective, right? So that's she, okay. Hey, she's saying that no she really enjoyed it, and and then she gives it a six. And I'm going like, wow, that's really harsh. You know, what I mean, it's so. Um, uh, I I would probably give it more like a seven seven point five. Again, I, I can enjoy the films, but for me, th- they were too far field from my childhood memories. Well, and it's
2: funny because uh, you know I am with you, Alice. I, I'd say that this first movie for me is probably like a seven seven point five. So I, I think you know it's it's definitely when I think of all of the Middle Earth films, as we could call these. You know this isn't the strongest but it's also not a terrible god awful movie no, it's no, just it's just not the strongest not, yeah. you know um in a lot of ways it just it mirrors fellowship of the ring it's mm-hmm. setting things up it's a road movie um the unfortunate part with the hobbit is that we'd already been in all these places before uh the only place that was new was goblin town really and uh that turned out to be an interesting fun adventure and um some amazing
0: physics involved yes some amazing things
2: and and in fact before we end i just have to say the only part of the movie that i actually don't like is that part there where they're falling down on that bridge i'm like oh peter jackson you've gone too far yeah the went a you little know little
1: far there
2: i'm i'm not afraid to criticize and just be like pete bro yeah just pull it back just just pull it back about by 20. Gravity I know don't you work usually like way. yeah usually he think he likes to make things bigger and it works you know like the mace of of the witch king make it bigger you know that kind of stuff I get that having them fall down and they're all alive and then a goblin king lands on them it's just too much yeah. so oh oh before we go because I think this is important we need to talk about because it's the biggest scene in the movie. And we didn't talk about it, and so uh, we did final thoughts and we did our ratings. But this is the six hundred two club, and we just got our second round from Ruby, so forgive us. (laughs) What did you think about the riddles in the dark scene? I mean, this is the only time that we um, (laughs) get—we didn't talk about that. I know we didn't talk about that. We got to talk about it. Um, But so we had Gollum back. You know, we have the technology now. He looks incredible, and that whole scene. What did you think about that? Because it's probably the most pivotal scene in the book especially the way it plays into the next series
0: i i i liked it actually um they they do a nice job you know because there's the very important speech that um gandalf gives frodo about bilbo staying his hand and you know thank heavens for the um compassion of bilbo and i think they do a very nice job of of showing that in this this film if i remember correctly in the books, there's more riddles. Um, so in a movie that we have, you know, nine hours to work with, uh, we chose to use less ru- less riddles. Um, but I enjoyed that scene a lot, actually. That and the trolls would probably be my two favorite scenes.
1: Yeah, I, agree. I thought it was a great scene. I thought it was well done. Um, now that I've read the book, um, I thought it was really faithful to the book without being quite as long. Um, great riddles, like my son loves those he's so much more clever than I am because there's (laughs) no way in hell I would ever even think to come up with those um but no I really enjoyed it um Gollum is always um he's always an interesting character to see on screen I think he's really well played by Andy Serkis like he he owns that character um and to see him bring that back um was just great he did a bunch of second unit directing. On. Yeah, he did. He's a director. I yeah, think he really don't people realize did. that yeah. about him.
2: And he does a great job. So, yeah. uh, you know, he really... Uh, it, it, if you've watched the extras, you know how much Peter is stretched thin with these films. So all, all of them that he's done. He's always having to be at 20 places at once. And he found some guys, you know, for The Lord of the Rings and now with The Hobbit, like Andy Circus, that he can really trust who know his mind and the way he thinks um that do just a fantastic job and you know this scene um because it's the most important scene in the book i thought it was honestly the best scene in the movie they really pull it off the scariness of gollum at that point too is really good you know obviously he's just dragged off a, a, a goblin to eat uh, that's fallen, and and uh, the the fear in Bilbo's eyes, knowing that he is playing for his life, because well, Gollum lets it slip that yeah, if you don't makes it, we eats you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So and the the visuals are fantastic. I never don't believe that Gollum's not just standing there, you know, uh, or you know, crouched there next to, to Martin Freeman as Bilbo. It, it's just amazing. So. Um, that I think that that scene really does work and it's it really is one of those um, those things that the message of the Hobbit and the the importance of what where real courage comes from I I I think I agree with you Megan it it plays so well with how um, they film it and they frame it and then of course, you know, now it's it's kind of like the Star Wars films. If you watch the first three with the, the last three, there's a new way of looking at it. So now if I watch, you know, Hobbit 1 through 3 and then go to the Lord of the Rings, you know, things are, are going to connect in a way that they maybe hadn't for me before. And so that'll be really fun to do one day when they're all out and I can sit there for a few days in a row because I can't do that all <laughs> in one day. That's literally like an entire day sitting on the couch for 24 hours and my annual uh, Lord
1: of the Rings rewatch will become a two weekend Lord of the Rings re-watch. <laughs> Yeah, there you
2: go. There you go. Exactly. So, well guys, it's been so much fun getting to talk about The Hobbit today and the Unexpected Journey, but it's not the only thing that we've been talking about here on Trek FM this past week. So, here is a quick look at some of the other things that you may have missed elsewhere on the network.
0: Previously on trek.fm, Standard Orbit
1: and and so i was biased against it. it. Even when i started buying the the two disc collector's edition dvds, i avoided buying any of the even number numbered movies. Odd numbered movies. Earl Grey.
2: Like uh, like they stated in the end of the movie, you know, they thought he'd outlive all of them. And i'm like, yeah, that's what should have happened. We should have seen data like in the, you know, 26th century, like data 5.0, whatever we call them. To the journey. You don't know if she's
0: going to stab him or smooch him?
2: She's going to smooch him, of course. After dessert.
0: <laughs> After dessert. We
2: all yes. know what dessert means.
0: Warp 5. Along with technology and along with trying to study the origins of a lot of different things that we've come to know in, in the original series and beyond, it's hard to try and deconstruct it without insulting what has come in all of the things that we know of being Vulcan Mindmeld. Mission Log, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast.
2: And my thought was, in the next scene, Crusher should have the body of the dead Klingon sitting on the back of her toilet holding a candle. (laughs) You know,
0: (laughs) what she would only get to do after Lieutenant Yara's gotten to hold the dead Klingon up to her ear to see if she can hear the ocean.
1: Commentary, Trek stars. Everything you would imagine would be in an opening
2: title sequence for this show is in there. I think the shot that really does it for me, the shot that really pulls everything together is when he dunks the basketball. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Melodic Treks. So we do know an awful lot of people get associated with Vic Fontaine. He name-drops to the nth degree about all the famous people that he engraved. with. One of whom is Frank Sinatra. Axinar, the official podcast.
1: When there's a possibility for something to be misunderstood or um, not clearly explained... It can potentially open up a big hole for a show because people can end
0: up going down a path that was actually not what somebody wanted to be done. The 602 Club.
2: What are those Bond movies that you go back to time and time again because they just do it better? Uh, First of all, Matthew,
1: nobody does it better.
0: That's true. Uh, It makes uh, me feel sad for the rest.
1: (laughs) 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 And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm.
2: Check out these shows and find out what we've been talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're an Apple user, be sure to hit that subscribe button. It really helps us out greatly. And it makes it easier for those listeners to find the show when they search us on iTunes. And if you're not an Apple user, of course, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone. And of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. Well, girls, I got to say, I'm so glad that y'all decided to drop by the 602 Club and, and talk um, The Hobbit with me. And In fact, you're going to be here for the next three weeks, so I'm <laughs> yeah. super excited because, um, yeah, this has been so much fun, and, and I've, you know— With the 602 Club, I thought to myself, oh, I'm so lucky I just started this and we're going to get to talk about the Hobbit movies. (laughs) So, um,
1: Perfect timing.
2: But you guys uh, do a lot of other things. So tell everybody where they can find you online.
1: So we run a media network uh, called Educating Geeks where our whole...
0: No, I was going like, that's awesome. Why don't we,
1: you you, you just nailed it. Media network. Okay. We've been practicing our elevator pitch. Sorry. (laughs) She frightened me because she thought I was doing a good job. Um, So we run a media network called Educating Geeks where our whole thing is that we are trying to bring in new people to our favorite fandoms um there we're all even the biggest geek you've ever met in your life i can guarantee you there's one thing that you love that they have never played or watched or read or 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 done um so you know we take that person and we expose them to star wars or the lord of the rings or uh star trek
0: or journey or journey the video
1: game um So uh, we do a weekly podcast where we educate somebody every week on a new topic. And then uh, the following week, we put out drinking game rules for that topic. Um, because we do like to enjoy the libations. But, of course, if you're not uh, the kind of person that likes to drink, you can always play with your favorite glass of tea or hot cocoa. Dr. Hot Pepper. Cocoa. Um, <laughs> Dr. Pepper, that's Dr. right. Pepper, that's right. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you can find us online at educatinggeeks.com. And uh, we are also on Stitcher, so you can subscribe to our feeds and get everything as it's posted. And then um, we're on Facebook and Twitter Tumblr and Google+, Plus. if you just search for Educating Geeks, you'll find all of our official pages that way.
2: Well, girls, uh, thank you so much, and I can't wait for next week. Awesome. Yeah, thank I'm you so really much for having us. It. It's been fun. Another way that you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, You'll find our current goals and our milestone contribution levels along with all the great perks that we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seat on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support that you can give us and we hope that you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com. And don't forget to give us an iTunes review. If you give us an iTunes review, I'll definitely give you a shout out on the show. If you'd like to contact us, you can do that at trek.fm slash contact. Just choose a show and that email will come directly to us. If you want to leave us a voicemail, you can do that as well. Look in the sidebar in the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. We're on Twitter at trek.fm. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm. And we also have our listener-only discussion group on Facebook called The Babel Conference. Just type The Babel Conference, that's B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook Or go to our website at Trek.fm and click Discussion on the menu bar. And before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps bring the 602 Club and all of our shows to you each week. And of course, our sponsor is Audible.com. Audible is the best way to get all of those books and read all of those books that you've always wanted to but you just never thought you'd have time for. And as a Trek.fm listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial just to see how great Audible is go to audibletrial.com/trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com/trekfm and we really thank Audible for supporting the 602 club and the network. And don't forget to check out Enterprise in Space, a project of the nonprofit National Space Society that will design and launch an 8-foot orbiter and return the craft to earth. The NSS order will carry more than 100 student design science experiments into space, and you can help make that happen. Visit enterpriseinspace.org to find out more and get your seat on the mission. I want to say a special thank you to our associate producer, Norman C. Lau, and his support of the network and the 602 Club. His Twitter account is at Norman Lau. He's a big supporter of the Star Trek Axonar project and can be found on their official Facebook page as well as the Babel Conference. And last but not least, he's a huge supporter of Trek FM on Patreon. And guys, of course, you can find me on Twitter at mattrushing 02. You can also find me doing literary tracks with Dan where we talk about the books and comics of Star Trek. And you can find me doing The Orb with Christopher Dones, where we talk about all about Deep Space Nine. Now guys, I just really thank you for joining us, and y'all come back now, you hear?